Good morning, everybody. Um, it's been a real joy uh, to be here this morning, and thank you to everybody who's uh, played a part. Um, I did just want to say a wee word about Alpha. Um, starting on Thursday evening at half six, um, I should know all these details. Um, but maybe just this, I, I was at a Christian conference yesterday, and I heard a guy speaking who's a, a pastor in England, um, and he was just telling the story about when he was at school uh, in sixth form, he really fancied a girl, um, and it turned out she was a Christian, um, and he kind of tried to flirt with her a bit, uh, but was kind of getting nowhere, but then one day she, she invited him to come to church, and he thought it was a date, but it wasn't. Um, and he went to church, and it was quite a while before he got a date. But that Sunday that he went to church, God broke into his life. He'd never been in a church in his life before. But that girl, who was 17, took a risk, invited this guy to church, and his life got turned upside down. And yesterday, he's speaking to a room full of people and preaching the gospel. Um, so I just wanted to say that to say there may be people who are your friends, neighbors, colleagues, someone who's flirting with you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going for the flirt to convert kind of <laughs> tactic, but, um, but you know what I'm saying? There's still time before Thursday to take a little risk. They may say no, but they may shock the life out of you and say yes, and they may come and hear the message of Jesus and have their life turned upside down. So there's still plenty of time. Uh, talk to Ricky if you want to know more uh, about Alpha. Um, let's pray as we open up God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word, for the word of life which fires us and speaks to our hearts and sets our souls ablaze. Um, Father, we want to pray this morning. Um, would you come by your spirit and make your word burn in our hearts and bring deep transformation Father, you know the places where we need that this morning. We've been singing about being changed and being renewed as your spirit works in our lives. Would you come this morning to the places where we need it and by your word, by your spirit, would you do your transforming work? And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, the, the song we sang um, a second ago, um, there's a little, line, a little phrase that talks about we're praying that God would renew our minds. Um, and that's a really good introduction to what we want to think about this morning. Um, one of the things, one of the many things that happens when Jesus works in our lives, when the gospel does its work in our lives, is that we get our minds transformed. And when we get to Philippians 2 next week, um, we will, Paul talks directly about having the mind of Christ, uh, or having the same attitude as Christ. Um, and what, what I think, the passage we're about to read in chapter 1, I think Paul demonstrates for us what that transformed mind and transformed attitude looks like. Um, so you won't find that phrase in what we're going to read, but I think Paul is showing us what it looks like, a mind that has been transformed by the gospel, an attitude that has been changed by Jesus. What does it look like? 
Uh, and we're going to look at it as I read the passage. Um, I'd love you to look out for, in particular, Paul's remarkable attitude to suffering, his remarkable attitude to death, and his remarkable attitude to other Christians. Okay, we're talking this morning maybe about three things that are quite difficult to deal with sometimes. Suffering, death, and other Christians. <laughs> and you can decide which one's hardest. Um, but I want you to look out as we read for the, the remarkable attitude that Paul has to those three things. So we're going to read a longer passage this morning uh, from Philippians chapter 1. Let's read together. Uh, we're reading from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, this is maybe the main sentence I want you to remember this morning. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. That's where we're going to end our reading. 
I wonder, did you hear it as we went? Paul's remarkable, transformed gospel attitude to suffering and to death and other Christians. We're going to talk about those, those three things. It's another one of my accidental three-point sermons. So um, let's talk first about how the gospel gives us a new attitude to suffering. Um, I wonder, I find myself thinking, I wonder what kind of letter I would write if I was in Paul's shoes or sandals. Um, if you were in prison and didn't know what was going to happen and thought death in the near future was a definite possibility, I wonder what kind of letter you would write. Um, I think if we were being honest, we'd, I'd probably talk quite a lot about what I'm going through and the conditions in the prison and the prison food being terrible and um, what, I like what I think might happen next week or the week after. Or what's I would talk a lot about what I'm going through. It's pretty dramatic. Um, Paul actually talks very little. He mentions in passing my chains, um, but he talks very little about his suffering. What is Paul's attitude? He says he is glad because the gospel is advancing and people are finding out about Jesus. And so he rejoices, and especially because the imperial guard in Caesar's palace in Rome, where Paul is, have found out about the gospel because of Paul. The gospel has reached the very heart of the empire. This is something Paul couldn't have imagined as he took the gospel into different parts of the empire. But through his imprisonment, it's right in the heart of empire and the prison guards, Caesar's own, the guards of the praetorium of the imperial guard have heard about Jesus. Uh, and not only that, but others are hearing about what's going on with Paul and the gospel and it's spreading into the city of Rome. And Christians are growing in confidence, Paul says. They're getting bolder because of what's happened to me, which is a really remarkable thing. They're saying, Paul ended up in prison. Let's get bolder. Uh, let's get more confident in the way we live and speak the faith. Paul has a really different mind and attitude um, to what we would often have. Um, his attitude to suffering is remarkable. Um, you and I know we're, we're not meant to go looking for a fight, uh, looking for conflict. We're to faithfully live the gospel and share the gospel where we are. But there is in the New Testament an expectation that as you live your faith and as you share your faith, trouble of one kind or another will come. Opposition of one kind or another will come. And the remarkable thing is in the New Testament, that is seen as a privilege. Um, I wonder, did you notice the language Paul says near the end of what we read to the Philippians? It has been granted to you, like a special privilege, not only to believe in Jesus, but even to suffer for him. Um, later on in Philippians, we're going to read Paul talking about the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You're in privileged company whenever there is trouble that comes your way because of your faith. And of course, Jesus in Matthew 5 said, anytime you are insulted or given a hard time or persecuted because of righteousness, because of Jesus, you are blessed and you should rejoice and be glad because in the same way, the prophets of old also suffered. You're in good company. You're in a fellowship of those who have got into trouble because they were living faithfully. Um, and so 
in the New Testament, there's an expectation. Trouble's going to come. It's a privilege. You're part of a fellowship. It's granted to you to be part of that company. And there's also an expectation that that kind of faithful suffering um, can actually advance the gospel. Um, and of course, we could, we could talk about this lots. We don't have time this morning. Um, but this is something that's happened again and again in church history, not only in the story of Paul, but in the centuries that came after. Uh, maybe just to mention two examples, the, the Roman Empire at the time of Paul and for a couple of centuries afterwards thought that as they got worried about this kind of upstart new religion that had appeared of people talking about Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, they thought they could stamp it out by, well, they, they imprisoned Christians and they tortured Christians in the most awful ways, and they killed them in increasing numbers. And they thought that that would put others off coming to faith. But the same thing happened that Paul is talking about here. Christians got bolder. They saw the courage of those who died, and they got bolder. And others saw that these people were willing to die for their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And the gospel exploded across the Roman Empire. Um, just to mention one other example that's much closer in time to us. In the 20th century, um, China uh, decided in the middle, communist China in the middle of the century, um, kicked out every foreign missionary in 1953 from China. And at that time, the church in China was relatively small. It was less than a million people in a huge country. And most people in the West thought during those years that followed when nobody knew what was going on in China, that church is going to dwindle and struggle and die with no outside help. Whenever China started to open up again and news started to come out, people were astonished. They found that during the years of the fiercest persecution in China, the Church of Jesus underground and in secret very often, but it had exploded. And to this day, nobody's even sure what the numbers are. But today, there are probably around 100 million Christians in China. And most of that explosive growth happened in the years of the, the fiercest persecution. So what happened in Paul's day is not an anomaly. It's happened all through Christian history. Um, it's a, a challenge for, for us today. Uh, many people feel it's getting harder to be a Christian in our culture and that it may well get harder over the coming years. And if that is true, then it's vital that we have Paul's perspective and I think having Paul's perspective means we don't panic because <laughs> we were told to expect this. We don't respond aggressively by declaring culture war and uh, uh, going out in hostility and hatred of our enemies. But we remember what the New Testament says, that this is what we were told to expect. Remember, we are part of an amazing fellowship with the prophets, with Paul and the apostles, with Christians in many places throughout history and around the world today and with Jesus himself. We are to rejoice and count ourselves blessed and then look with eyes of faith and ask, what is happening to the gospel? How is the good news of Jesus advancing? And then we're to get on with just living faithfully where we are. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Live in a way that reflects the beauty of that message. Whatever happens, that's our task. Um, it's a remarkable attitude to suffering. 
The second thing is Paul has a remarkable attitude to death. The gospel, when it does its work in our lives, gives us a new way of thinking and a new way of seeing when it comes to death. Um, probably, as I read, you were struck. Those are probably some of the most famous words um, in all of Paul's writing. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And two verses later, he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Right? It's a remarkable way to speak. We find Paul having this dilemma. I, I can't decide which is better because <laughs> I want to stay here with you and there's good things for me to do here, but I'm, my desire is drawn to that life to come. It's not normally how we think or speak, is it? Um, we would normally, normally we would, we would rather, always rather choose to stay alive. Uh, we tend to consider death to be the worst thing that can happen and to be avoided and delayed and resisted at all costs. Um, it's very natural and very human to think in that way. Um, and even though we are Christians and we have hope of life beyond death, we still tend to think in that way. And so when we read these words in Paul, our jaw drops a little bit. Um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. What do we, what do we make of Paul's words? Um, uh, I, one thing may be important to say, I don't think they mean Paul doesn't like life in this world. Um, the, I, I think that's an unhealthy distortion of Christianity, which can say that life in this world is bad and life in the body is bad. Um, you and I know when God made the world, he said it was good. And however much it has been damaged and distorted by sin, it's still full of good and beautiful things. And there's much that we love about life in this world. I don't think we're meant to look at this world with contempt. Um, there's much that we love. I think what makes Paul's perspective so different is that he has a really clear and strong and vivid sense of the life that is to come and the abundance of it and the beauty of it and the glory of it. And Gillian sang that beautiful song earlier about what is to come and it's beautiful. <laughs> Right? I think Paul has this vivid sense of that. It's something Paul uh, thought about a lot and wrote about a lot. Um, in Romans 8, he says, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Our light and momentary troubles here are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The, the abundance of the beauty of the glory of what's coming is beyond imagining. And it's something that kind of has gripped Paul's mind and heart and draws out his desire. So he desires it. Um, it's something that is, he is looking forward to with a, a full heart. Um, our, our present troubles here are real and they have weight. But when you set them in the balance against the glory to come, they, they don't seem to weigh very much at all. And we could also say our present joys and pleasures in this life are real and they have weight. They are substantial. But when you set them in the balance against the glory to come, suddenly it's no contest. What is to come is better by far. 
whatever is good and beautiful in this life is going to be multiplied and magnified beyond imagining. And for Paul, the, did you notice the best thing about this life? There's lots of good things about this life, and you can make a list of things you love. But for Paul, the best thing about this life is Christ. It's knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and the presence of Jesus. And Paul knows that beyond death, he's going to know Jesus and walk with Jesus and live in the presence of Jesus like never before. And that's at the heart of why Paul has this really different perspective. Um, I promise you this is my last Lord of the Rings reference for a while, but we, I told you we were watching the movies with our kids and we, we arrived in the, the third movie uh, to a scene where um, Gandalf and Pippin are sitting in a city burning, a city at war. It feels like the end of the world. Everything is falling apart. Um, it looks like evil is going to win. There's a lot of moments like that in Tolkien. Um, and Pippin says to Gandalf, it's another one of those moments where you see Tolkien's Christian imagination at work. Pippin says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? The journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. Pippin says, what, Gandalf? See what? And he says, white shores, and beyond a far green country, under a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, that isn't so bad. <laughs> Gandalf says, no. No, it isn't. And actually, in the book of the Lord of the Rings, that, those words about the grey rain curtain being pulled back and the far green country under a swift sunrise actually come early in the book and are given to one of the characters in a dream. And actually, I think that's really important because he was given that vision of that life beyond death to sustain him through the perils and the danger and the trouble and the, and the, the journey that was to come. You need that vision burning in your breast in order to walk through the difficult things of life. Um, it gives you courage and it gives you heart and it gives you hope. Um, in the 17th century, uh, there was a, an English Puritan pastor called Richard Baxter. Um, and he wrote a book that was a bestseller. It was a phenomenon in the 17th century. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be today of a Christian bestseller. Uh, like that, but it was a book called The Saints' Everlasting Rest. And what Baxter was doing in that book, and you can find it and read it today, was encouraging Christians to deliberately and intentionally reflect and meditate on the reality of the life to come, the beauty and the glory of what we've been promised about that life beyond death in that far green country. Uh, so that it captivates our hearts, so that it draws out our desire, so that it gives us courage for the journey, and especially the bits of the journey that are hard. And I wonder, is that sort of a, a practice that we as modern Christians need to recover, to spend time deliberately setting our hearts on meditating on what God has told us about the life to come? Um, there's a, a really popular quotation from C.S. Lewis um, that says, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Um, interestingly, I've, I've been in quite a few people's houses where that quote is on the wall. 
and it's become kind of a popular one to, to share around. But a lot of people I've talked to didn't realize the context of it. Um, that it's often quoted as if Lewis was talking about, what if you're having a hard time right now, there's better days ahead. Things are going to get better. Actually, C.S. Lewis wrote those words to an American lady um, who was dying and who wrote to him as a Christian author and asked for some help in preparing for her death. And Lewis wrote to her in that context, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. He's encouraging her to get ready for that final journey. Um, it's something you and I can say to each other. Uh, whatever is going on, and especially as we approach death, there's far better things ahead than anything you're going to leave behind. Um, maybe in the end, when you, when you think about what a strong sense Paul had of what was coming, maybe the most remarkable thing is in the end, when he weighs it up, he says, I think I'd rather stay. But it's not for his own sake. <laughs> it's not because he still has things he wants to do. I want to go travel the world. I, wanna, I haven't seen Tahiti yet. Um, it's for your sake, for your joy, for your progress in the faith. There's fruitful labor for me to do, so I think I'll hang around a bit longer. Um, and then I'm going to go to the far better things that are to come. It's a remarkable attitude to death, but it's one that's available to all of us. Um, third thing, last thing. Um, a new attitude to other Christians. Um, and I'm going to immediately be honest and say, this is actually the one I find most challenging. <laughs> um, I feel like I can deal, well, I don't know, maybe that's bravado. I can deal with suffering, I can deal with death, but other Christians, uh, th this is challenging. Um, we, we don't really know what's going on here. Um, Paul gives us a little glimpse of something odd that is going on uh, in the churches around in the first century. He says, some people are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. And he says they want to stir up trouble for him while he's in prison. Now, lots of people have tried to reconstruct what was going on. We don't really know. It's an odd scenario. There's, there's uh, something a little bit malevolent going on in terms of uh, whatever those, those people are doing. Uh, but it sounds really ugly and really awful. They're preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. They're trying to stir up trouble for Paul while he's in prison. I, it kind of gets my blood going. I'm like, that sounds awful. And so when Paul says, what does it matter? <laughs> I find myself thinking, that I got matters a lot. Um, and I find myself arguing with Paul. Um, I want to ask you, are you ever bothered by the way other Christians behave? And maybe more particularly, are you ever bothered by the way other Christians share the gospel or do evangelism or do mission? Does it ever bother you? Um, I often get bothered and agitated. Um, sometimes I'm bothered by their motives, like Paul. It seems like there's a kind of smell of arrogance or vanity or personal empire building, and it, it smells a bit off. The motives feel a bit off, and so I'm bothered by that. Um, sometimes I'm bothered by their methods of evangelism. Um, don't know about you, maybe because they seem too pushy or aggressive or they seem manipulative or gimmicky or they seem really traditional and stodgy and stale. There's, there's all kinds of reasons why we might be bothered by their methods. We wonder why are they doing it that way. Um, 
Sometimes I'm bothered by their message. And I want, I want to be careful here. I'm, I'm not talking here about heresy, uh, denying the basics about Jesus, preaching a gospel that's not the gospel. But I mean more when we hear people sharing the Christian message and we kind of just think, I wouldn't say it that way, right? They're emphasizing bits that I wouldn't emphasize and they're, they're not, it's not as clear as I would like about things that I would want to be clear about. And it's just not quite the way I would do it. And so in all those ways, I get bothered <laughs> by the way other people are, are doing it. Um, it's tempting to spend a lot of time critiquing others. Um, and I don't know if you ever have the scenario where someone comes to you and says, what do you think about that church? What do you think about that preacher? What do you think about that way of doing evangelism? And they're wanting to draw you in to a little bit of a, oh yeah, I don't like it, no, neither do I. And then you have a little, um, and I, I'm, I'm being honest and saying, I, I find that tempting to be drawn in. There's something delicious about talking about why other people are doing it wrong and we're doing it better, uh, how we know better uh, how to do those things. Um, I've realized I mention YouTube a lot these days, but I'm convinced YouTube is one of the devil's greatest tactics in our world today. Um, I, I've discovered, as I think as I've said before, that if I spend time on YouTube, and I'm, if I'm watching some content that has Christian content, Christian videos on YouTube, um, I end up getting recommended lots of other videos. And I, I'm finding increasingly the ones that are recommended um, are from whole channels on YouTube that are dedicated to criticizing what other Christians are doing. There are whole channels that are dedicated just to critiquing and criticizing what they're doing and what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're saying. And you can spend hours of your life going down that delicious <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, I find Paul's attitude deeply challenging. Paul says about these people who are, I don't know what they're doing. Paul says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I'm going to rejoice. And so what matters to Paul is the message of Jesus getting out there. What matters is people who desperately need to hear about Jesus. And Paul is not going to waste his time grumbling about others. And he's not going to be distracted from the urgent task by spending lots of time critiquing people he has no influence over anyway. He's not going to allow his heart to be consumed by that. And so as I wrestle with this and as I argue with Paul, I find myself coming back to this. I want to make a confession this morning. Um, as I do my best to share the message of Jesus in my life and my work, can I make a confession? My motives are always mixed. They're always a little bit noble and a little bit murky. And as I do my best to share the message of Jesus, my methods are always clumsy. They're never adequate to the glory of the beauty of the message of Jesus. They're always a bit awkward and clumsy. And as I try and share the message of Jesus, my message is never quite as clear as it could be. And I put the emphasis in the wrong places. And I, again, I, I can't find the words adequate to, the message that I'm trying to convey. But in the end, my confidence is not in myself or in my efforts. Where, where is my confidence? It's in Jesus and the joyful good news of his kingdom. 
It's in the spirit who's able to work through me and also sometimes in spite of me. It's in the father, who's a friend of mine always liked to say, is able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks and who's able to use all of our clumsy and imperfect efforts to somehow keep getting the glorious good news of Jesus out there in a way that changes lives. Um, And so I find this passage really humbling and challenging. Let's not, brothers and sisters, waste our time and our breath consumed with criticism. If you see others doing things not quite the way you would do it, um, if you're a little unsure about their motives or their methods or the detail of their message, say a prayer for them. Pray God's grace for them. Pray God will correct them where they need corrected, just as he corrects you where you need corrected. Pray God's blessing over them. Give thanks that the message of Jesus is getting out there. Give thanks that the kingdom of Jesus is advancing. And then get on with serving Jesus where you are. We said it a few weeks ago, we've more interesting things to do than sit grumbling and complaining. We've more interesting things to do than to sit criticizing people far away we've no influence over anyway. Um, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's enough to be getting on with, right? Whatever happens, if suffering comes, if trouble comes because of your faith, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. If death is getting near, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus and look to the better things to come. If other Christians are uh, disturbing you or bothering you or embarrassing you, um, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing. I want to encourage you, if, um, if God's been speaking to you this morning or if there's anything going on in your life or heart, Uh, where you know you could do with God's help. Uh, There'll be a couple of people up here uh, who'd love to pray with you and just make a beeline for them and ask them. They'd love to pray with you this morning. Um, Let's pray and then we're going to sing a song to finish. Um, Father, I want to thank you this morning that in your in your deep love for us, you, you sometimes highlight and put your finger on things in our lives that need to change. You show us things in our attitude that are not right and that are not worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So Father, I want to pray with your Holy Spirit this morning, just for each one of us here, each one of us sitting here in the Sandal Centre this morning, each person watching at home. We pray your spirit would come and just highlight what is the thing that we need to hear this morning where our attitude um, is not what it could be and what it should be, where we need the mind of Christ, where we need an attitude that is transformed by the gospel. Um, Father, I want to thank you that you don't just show us things to make us feel bad, but you show us things so that you can change us by your spirit. And so, Father, this morning, do your healing work in our hearts and in our lives.
fill our lives in a new way today and this week with the beauty of Jesus and the gospel. Help us to live faithful to him in our generation, whatever happens, whatever comes our way. We pray that the beauty of Jesus would be seen in us. Uh, and we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. <laughs>